0: welcome friends to the saint paul's student ministry podcast we're here at saint paul's our mission statement is to lead people to an active faith in jesus christ by loving god and by loving people joining me today are my friends aaron brown and todd taylor as we talk about foster care and adoption i was really encouraged by this conversation and i hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed making it Not the man we were going to be me. one day. Or, or, or. Someday I will be <laughs> that superhuman, that
1: walking, chewing gum, farting human that you want me to be. <laughs> and this will happen. Stop pressuring me to be something not, you want me to be. I will not you to become what you want me to be. You just need to lower your expectations Doc. They're lowered. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. It just happened. Did you hear it?
0: Just That's happened. the sound of expectations lowering. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for making time out of your busy days to come hang out with me. Um, for the folks at home, we are talking about foster care today and adoption. And so this is something that probably in the past few years has become very near and dear to my heart. And I also feel like it's something that I would think as a church, more churches would collectively kind of talk about these issues more. And I'm kind of coming at this from an angle that I don't think churches talk about enough. And I don't think we're addressing the need um, to help children that are potentially in the foster care system or children in need of adoption. And so we'll circle back around to some of that stuff. And so I think a good spot to start would just be uh, an introduction. And so, Todd, would you like to say hi so they know what your voice sounds like?
2: Well, hello. How's you doing?
0: Good. Todd? I'm sorry. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, where you're from, and what you do here at St. Paul's?
2: All right. I uh, was born and raised in uh, a little town called O'Galley, Wisconsin, raised on a farm, a dairy, and uh, a lot of hard work. A of, looking back now, it was a lot of fun at the time. I didn't appreciate it so oh, much. much, but uh, yeah, it was a little town outside of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. It was a little town of 300 people unincorporated. Uh, we were out, you know, amongst uh, Many neighbors that were about five, six miles apart, a lot of land, but mm-hmm. a lot of good childhood memories.
0: There you go. And what is it that you do here at St. Paul? Uh, I'm the
2: director of children's ministries here mm-hmm. at, at the church. So you have little kids. Yeah, little, little kids, kids, yes.
0: And Aaron, how about yourself? Where do you hail from? I'm born in New York, upstate New York,
1: where my parents uh, are from, I'm raised here in Missouri. Mm-hmm so yeah yeah And your role here at the church i am the lead pastor here at St. paul it's been here 25 years yeah had show well no well sure i'm oh, sorry Maybe, lead. yeah <laughs> the, the lead whatever that means the yeah leader. yeah yes. yeah i get to
0: yeah head off into the great adventure first I guess. technicalities um you guys know me you listen plenty of times but if you haven't um, I am a youth coordinator at the CJ campus. And so I work in Carl Junction, and I work with middle school and high school students, which is really fun. And you're doing a great job. I appreciate it. I love doing it. So so, I guess a little context. I will start off with a, my own personal story. Because I feel like the first time I was even made aware that the foster care slash adoption, adoption system you existed, I was 18. I had just graduated high school. And over the summer, I was going back home and I was like, you know, helping out at my old church, helping out the youth group. And they had a new student who, you know, I got really close to. I know he had like behavioral problems with getting fights in school. And later I found out it was because well, he, he was in the foster care system. And his, he had a sister and they were both being fostered by a family. And the family decided to only adopt one of them. Hmm. And so wow. he was still in the system and she was adopted into a new family which later in life I learned is actually probably more common than I would like to admit. Mm. And so I would say probably around the age of 18 was when I first started thinking to myself that this is something that I feel like God's laying on my heart and I need to do something about. And so whoever wants to tackle this first, maybe just what was kind of your first exposure to to that reality? And maybe what can you recall a time when like something starts stirring in you that you thought to yourself like we need to we need to do something about this.
2: No,
1: I, I think uh, for me it, it hit in seminary uh, around some discussions of you know what is the what is the church's responsibility when it comes to uh, children, um, the unborn, unborn uh, around the issue of uh, abortion and, and those big issues that it, it, uh, it really kind of surfaced for me to say you know the the best. Option for the church, the 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 most um, forward leaning stance would be for us to say we, you know, uh, in instead of uh, aborting children, the church needs to be in a place where we're ready to adopt them. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you're not ready to raise them, we are. We will put ourselves in the place to make sure that there are homes, there are families, there are the connections made. And you know, I know we don't want to go down that path too far of of abortion, but uh, you know, uh, um, I'm definitely pro-life mainly because of the statement that jesus said uh you know i was a stranger and you welcomed me Mm -hmm. who could be more of a stranger than an unborn child or you know in in the light of our discussion today the the child that is uh in need of a foster home or an adoptive home who could be more of a stranger than that who could be more of the presence of jesus than that child that needs a home
2: I'd have to say my, my story is a little bit different um looking back I everything are, about you is different a little uh, bit just, different you know, yeah, so clear. yeah Even what a, in, you're in wearing a, is just kind of different right now. In, in a good way or just a different? it's way? the hat it's this, the hat you know,
1: the hot dog shaped hat that is strange
2: well actually this is just my hair
1: is I it? Have a hat on. <laughs> oh now i see i see it now in the light yeah yeah
2: no, I think you're getting confused because working with kids, you know, I do wear a lot of costumes, and, and you know. They
0: say size the first thing to go. It is I It is. the first to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't notice And I'm older actually,
2: than you. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. You can tell them all about it. <laughs> yeah, I can tell, yeah. So, uh, I, so I look back. I, I think all these things that molded me as I'm growing up. At the time, I'm thinking, why am I going through this? But I, I look back and I think, why have I always gravitated to helping kids? Mm-hmm. And I think it all started, my, my dad was killed. I have a twin brother, and uh, my mom was pregnant with my sister, and my dad was killed in a car accident when I was eight months old. And so my mom was alone for for several years. And, of course, I don't remember any of this. But then my mom married um, uh, my stepdad when I was two and a half, Mm -hmm. and he became my father because, I mean, he's the only father I had. But got teased a lot in school in this farming community I lived in. People just weren't used to someone not having a, I guess, biological dad. Yeah. And I got teased having um, no father. I was an orphan, even though I had a stepfather who I love as my own father. Yeah. Now, Dad never adopted us. He wanted to. Um, but uh, my grandmother just did not want um, our name to change because she lost two sons in a car accident. Yeah. And she wanted the tailor name to yeah. con- continue on. And my dad honored that. Yeah. So it seemed like with all my jobs, I'd always gravitate to helping kids who were underdogs and kids who were kind of off on their own. I'd always gravitate to helping them. Even as a kid, I would try to include them. So so looking back, I think it's because of the things that I went through that at the time didn't seem that terrible. I didn't like being called an orphan. Yeah. I didn't like being teased because I didn't have a real dad is how they would say it. But mm. um, but I knew better. And I think that kind of started my thoughts about how can I help other other children yeah. through the process of my life. Oh, I had no idea. You that your dad passed away when you were that young. Yes. Huh? Yeah, he was uh, hanging out with some buddies and they had um, been bowling. It was a men's night out and there were yeah. five of them and they got in a car at the end of the night and uh, I was told that my dad said, no, I need to get home because mom's got the twins and she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And he decided, you know, he got kind of peer pressured into it and they were driving around a corner and hit a cement bridge and the car blew up oh, God. and uh, so they all burned out burned to death except the driver was uh thrown out and that's how we kind of got a little bit of spin on oh, what happened that right. night i'm sorry Tom. yeah it's all right sorry you no you're robbed of that but... yeah i got a great stepdad yeah. honestly he's my dad and he's a good man and, and he's still living you know he's 80 yeah. years old living on the farm yet there you go yeah. That's
0: awesome. yeah um aaron i want to touch on something you said
2: um i
0: actually have a, a professor at Ozark, his name is Shane Wood, and he was someone that had brought this to my attention, too. We talked about, like, the abortion issue. And um, to so not, not to super get on that, but I'll, I'll keep it quick and simple. And so he had talked about, again, like, you know, Christians, like, riding and picket fencing and all these things to, like, shame these people that at 16 you have no idea what they're going through, what decision they're making, and we're pretending as if they're making it easily, you know. And he he had this class, and he proposed this question to us. And then he said, "If we're Christians are truly upset with the, the idea of abortion, then then why aren't then why is a protest? Why don't we adopt the same amount of children that like get aborted a year or something like that? Like, what if that was our protest? You know, instead of screaming at these children that are making incredibly difficult decisions because they're in tough situations themselves." What if we found ways to support those younger, fam- like you know, support these young mothers, to where they feel like they don't need to, but then also tell them too, like if you're not willing yeah. to do it, I will, I will do that for you. Yeah. And I always thought that was so cool too. Um, and then he'd also talk to us too about like uh, the early church in Rome. So I mean, in Rome, obviously, like you at that time, you know, you can't, you can't go to a hospital and get a procedure, and so you would have a child, and you would just leave them out in the street, and so you had like. You know these early churches and these early Christians. They would find these children and they would take them in, and that's some of your your earliest orphanages. Or mm-hmm. These group of Christians mm-hmm. raising up these children, mm-hmm. and so that was another thing too. I always thought it was cool when it's like you know I can I can say I'm against certain things, but do my actions show that I'm actually against it? And that was you know kind of like you know you were saying too. That was a big reason why I I got so fired up about it. And uh, you know I have my own like I don't know personal struggles, whether or not like. Um, Well, one thing I want to ask you guys about is because I I don't have biological children, I'm just fostering. Mm -hmm. And I'd always had this kind of weird internal debate of like, can I do both? Does it feel selfish to do both? Like to have biological children and and to adopt or foster? And I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, I'm young and I got time to figure it out. And so we can jump around a little bit, but just because it's on the top of my mind. So Todd, you have both biological children and you foster to adopt and so has yeah so
2: I've got one major blended family because I came from a blended family didn't really feel like it but Mm -hmm. you know there were two other siblings that were born after uh the three of us after mom remarried Mm -hmm. and they're my brothers and sisters different last name but we never looked at it as half sisters and brothers even though people would say that Mm -hmm. it didn't feel that way but my family is pretty blended I remember um you know, in my dating dating days, you know, I said I'd never marry anybody who had kids because uh, it would be tough,
0: yeah. too
2: tough to deal with all that. Well, then I ended up uh, marrying somebody who had two small children. <laughs> yeah. And so I actually have two stepsons, a biological son together with my wife. And uh, then we fostered and adopted. Mm-hmm. So we have one major hodgepodge of a blended family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes it's a hodgepodge. But, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way because yeah. uh, I think having the, uh, the, the, the stepchildren, who mm-hmm. I don't like that term, yeah. but that's how I keep it straight when I'm talking to people is it, it taught me a lot about how um, I had to love those children um, honestly before I could really truly love yeah. my, my wife and be married and be in that situation. Because yeah. if I didn't, mm-hmm. it, it's hard, it's hard to do that. So they had to be my own almost, yeah. even though I shared them with another father, It worked out because uh, I just wanted the best interests of the kids, and so did the other side of the blended family. So it it was good, but I learned a lot. And then we had one Mm -hmm. together, and then time just kind of went by. And then at the time, we decided that, you know, should we have more children? It was almost like, nah, maybe not. Mm -hmm. And we'll just wait. We always talked about adopting, but uh, we said at one point... Maybe we're too old, and if it fell in our laps. Mm-hmm. And that's another story. Guess yes. what it happened. It fell it in did. our laps. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. Uh, so I uh, had our three boys almost raised. Uh, two boys that were out of the house. Uh, Landon was actually um, 13 mm-hmm. when we had these girls kind of dumped into our lap and became foster parents. Mm-hmm. And um, then, uh, yeah, we fostered for gosh, almost two and a half years before we could adopt them. Yeah, And uh, it's pretty pretty
0: amazing. Having kids in your home for two years yeah. and not knowing if they're gonna stay yeah. there or not is crazy. Yeah,
2: very crazy. Yeah. yeah.
1: One of the early experience for me that I'll share is when I was in seminary, uh, the summer before I started seminary, I was in an internship program and uh, I lived with a family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just fell in love with this family and still in contact with them many years later. But they were foster A foster family yeah and have uh, over the years fostered well over 100 kids Mm -hmm. from Uh little bitties to teenagers uh, everybody in between and so when i was there living in their home uh, for that summer and then for the rest of the school year i was you know i was there on the weekends working at the church and and they always had foster kids and then they had adopted one of those foster kids Mm -hmm. you know uh when he was little and so that was a big part of the you know, these were influential adults in my life that I looked up to, and I saw that as a big part of
0: their life, so the seeds were planted um, yeah. pretty early on um, in my 20s. And um, so you have you have two daughters, correct? Mm-hmm. I do. And just one of them is adopted? One or? is adopted, yeah. Okay. And so was that, um, How, if you don't mind, like what was that conversation like between you and Janet as far as like, were you guys, did it feel like the decision was always pretty mutual? Like you guys knew when you were together that you wanted to go down that path. Or? Well, we uh, we just pictured our family of a four.
1: That that was, you know, mm-hmm. we pictured a family of four because both of us came from a family of four. Okay. And um, we had a first daughter, and uh, you know, about three years later, we're like, yeah, or three or four years later, it's time to, you know, start thinking about having another one, and mm-hmm. and the other one just didn't come along, didn't come along, didn't come along, and we're like, what is going on here? And um, Nothing was, there There was nothing medically wrong with us. We're like, what, why is this not happening? And yeah. so that's when we began to say, all right, what about adoption? And um, we'd never really thought about it before for us. Yeah. Um, because we'd always just, mostly because of our family context. Um, and so it was just a, a matter of us saying, all right, um, God, is this something you want us to do? And kind of, we didn't really talk much about it. I I had kind of said um, at one point, um, God, if you want us to adopt, I I remember literally saying this, if you want us to adopt, you're going to have to put a baby right in front of us. And Mm -hmm. I I just kind of, you know, you hem God in, that's bad. Yeah, careful what you wish for. Be careful. (laughs) And uh, I kind of said, that's how I need to know this, God. You need to put a baby right in front of us because for some reason it didn't quite feel Right. Um, to start the the journey. And so I'm telling you, um, it wasn't but a month later or so, I am at the back of the church right before worship begins, and one of our members, who is a foster parent, walks in with the little baby carrier and sticks it out in front of me Mm. and says, Aaron, uh, uh, I was in the shower this morning, and God told me that you need to adopt this baby. Oh, my God. So it And then she went and did the exact same thing to my wife. So, I mean, that got the ball rolling, and it was uh, the baby's guardian ad was mm-hmm. a member of our church, an attorney in our church. And so that day, we that evening, we're on the phone talking about what is the process, and mm-hmm. what do we need to know, and ha- is this even possible, and, and, and. Well, we got down the road a ways with that, and it just didn't happen,
0: yeah
1: and um, very disappointing. So we didn't talk much about it after that, Um, We kind of looked into international adoption and had gone to a seminar and that sort of thing. And then um, we kind of just let it set for a few months. And then again, out of the blue, the attorney for that first baby that was brought to church Mm -hmm. here, the attorney for that first baby came to church one day and um, Janet and our, our older daughter happened to just be there, mm-hmm. and he said, "Can I talk to you all? You know?" And we're like, "Well, sure." And so he said, "There's uh, a mother that is wanting to uh, put her baby up for adoption," mm-hmm. and I immediately thought of you guys. And are you interested? And so the three of us in that room that day just said, "Yes," mm-hmm. you know. That, that our daughter was there. That our you know yeah. six year old five-year-old daughter was in the room at the time, was like, well, how, yes? And so within, I can't remember, it all happened very, very quickly, but we went through the home study, went through the you know fingerprinting, went through the the whole process of adoption in what normally takes about six months, took us 12 days, mm. and that baby uh, was born on the 13th, the, the day after, or two days after, yeah. like maybe the 14th day after that uh, she was born, and, mm. So it all happened very, very quickly yeah. once we kind of surrendered. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. it happened very, very quickly. That is really cool. I didn't
2: know about the first uh, situation when they mm-hmm. brought the baby carrier mm-hmm. with the baby. I didn't yeah. know yeah. about that.
0: Talk yeah. about a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, what are you supposed to do with this? Right. Yeah. You know, it's like,
1: oh, my God, this is exactly what I prayed for. And, it, you know, when you get it, it's like, whoa. Oh. But, you know, again, it didn't work out. It mm-hmm. just didn't work out. Um, and. But it led to the the next, that next piece of the
0: puzzle, and that's why we have a family of four. Yeah. Uh, I like I've heard people countless times say like you can't really experience fully like what God's love is until you have kids, and I always thought that was dumb. It's like <laughs> no, that's ridiculous.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And then even too like working with kids, you know, I've worked with like elementary kids up to high school kids, and so I was like, no, this is practically parenting, right? I'm spending a lot of time with kids. And now I've been a dad for like almost three months, and I feel like there's a lot of truth to, to what people say, like what our two girls have shown us in like such a short amount of time, like that kind of like unconditional love. I, I don't know, it's palpable. Like it is different, it is mm-hmm. it is something super cool. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you guys have ever been like, talked to like that in any sense. And so one thing I'm just curious about is uh, what, what were the Aaron and Todd's like before kids? And how do you think God has changed your heart since after having kids?
1: I'm a lot more tired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, BC before children, uh, yeah. the energy level. Yeah, you probably are getting that too. I'm just never going to sleep again. I'm never again, gonna, so. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need no stinking sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think your 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 world. Uh, what children, uh, what my kids did, I think was, you know, break some of those selfish patterns. Yes. that you have. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe in some ways reinforce some others mm. that you, you got, got to identify. Um, but, I mean, when, when you have children, especially little tiny babies uh, that demand everything of you and even more so of your wife, you know, in our mm. case, um, man, it, it that becomes the centerpiece of your world. You just don't have room to be selfish yeah. in that. So it is very revealing of those, those patterns that you have set up for a long time. And I remember when our, our, our first daughter... Turned about five and all of a sudden realized I have more time on my hand. I'm yeah. not having to take care of every little thing. And they can play by themselves a little bit. Yeah, go to the bathroom on their own. Yeah. <laughs> so, and sleep through the nights and, yeah. you know, all those good things. Like, wow, this is a whole different world. And then, of course, we had another baby right after that. There so, um, but yeah, so I think I was a more selfish person. Yeah. And um, definitely break you of that. But at the same time, like I said, I think there's some patterns like, no, you're not taking this away from me. This one thing, I'm going to keep my Friday, whatever. Yeah, I'm going to sleep in on Fridays. I don't care how. So I used to like uh, uh, put up a blanket over the window and the Friday's my day
0: off, you know, blanket over
1: the window. Just try and get the baby to sleep a little longer so
0: that I could. I like a parent. Say it. Like, that, uh, I think that's so, what they say with birds. You put a blanket,
2: blanket over them, they'll yeah. sleep all time. Yeah, because you need your
1: sleep. I need my sleep. <laughs> you need your <laughs> sleep. Yeah. I don't know what, what are you saying well, without saying I, some it. Days, I like I'm some
2: days, a little on edge, and I think it's a <laughs> lack of sleep. Uh, this is one of those days, Todd. <laughs> can, I wasn't yeah. until a minute ago. Oh, sorry about that. Hey. Right.
1: So yeah, so I think. Can my... you are going to, have to break up this fight? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It's
0: about to go to fisticuffs. Yeah.
2: Fisticuffs. Wow. There are about yeah.
0: 10 iron policemen in here right now. Guys, is insane.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I think my starting out with uh, with kids and, and, a, and a new marriage is that mm-hmm. even dating, uh, my wife had kids all along. And so I was mm-hmm. part of that from from the get-go as soon as my wife let me enter completely into their, yeah. their lives uh, when she knew that we were going to be probably married. How someday. old were they
1: when you started dating?
2: When we started dating, uh, our dating life was a little different because I met her. So I met her when uh, her youngest son was one and her oldest son was four. And uh, she was going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. And that's when I met her through some friends but had no idea that in several years I would be married and stepdad to two of her kids. Um, So that was pretty crazy. So I think that I automatically wasn't selfish with my time when I was um, with Rayma and the kids. But I noticed after we were married, I really cherished those moments that I could be by myself, Mm -hmm. you know, or just the two of us, if they were at their dad's for the weekend or whatever that might be. And so um, I think I became more selfish uh, along the way than less selfish, Uh even though I would do everything for them. Yeah. I just noticed that I needed that time for me uh, a little bit more, I think.
0: Do you, so the whole introvert extrovert thing. Do you think you recharge from being alone or do you think you recharge being around? Uh, other people
2: oh definitely being around other people okay
0: yeah obviously kids yeah. are a little bit different yeah you know yeah.
2: Uh, i need i need that energy uh, of yeah. the kids and stuff and so we were older when we adopted the girls and, and you know i remember calling my twin brother and telling him that i was going to adopt him and jaden and he said you know basically what the hell's the matter with you yeah. <laughs> it easier to get a couple of dogs that's what he said now he didn't mean anything <laughs> but that's what he point because like, he thought what are you doing? Your boys are about gone. Well, uh,
1: tell them how old you were when yeah. you adopted the girls. I
2: was uh, forty-eight when uh, we adopted. Emma you were almost J. out, man. Yeah. Can't pull you back yeah. Down. Yeah. So, uh, but but looking back now, you you think it was tough yeah. when we first had them entered into our home because Emma was one, but she was more like a six-month-old, mm-hmm. still on formula at that point, and just some neglect as far as not being loved and held like she should be, and then Jaden. Was just turned five when mm-hmm. we got her, and uh, they're half siblings, and she was just running amok, mm-hmm. you know, just ran the show basically. Yeah. Thought that her little sister was her daughter basically because she yep. put a lot of time into her huh. and not even realizing it. So it, it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah.
0: How many do you foster now? I have two. Okay. They're they're both siblings, and so uh, Callie she's three, and Chloe's five. And so I mean they're, they're awesome. They are I, awesome. I got so lucky here so lucky as far as being a first time foster parent and the girls that came into our home. Mm-hmm. And so they're not without, you know their weird quirks I and mean, their kids and the it's weird because so now they've been in our house a little bit longer. They do say this about foster care. Typically the first month, they're like they try to be on their best behavior. They don't really know what's going on and whether what they're experiencing will be long term and one thing that i thought was really cool so like the first few weeks like they would not cry that they fell and bumped their head and they would not cry and then um Callie, the youngest started like, like yeah you know, kind of showing that a little bit more a little bit more emotion mm-hmm. and like getting cranky and showing some emotion and then chloe the older one just like would not and it was probably about a month and i don't even remember what it was it was something like super simple um yeah you know, like like nothing, like, nothing was taken away. She mm-hmm. didn't hurt herself. Just something happened, and I don't know where she just started sobbing. And uh, it was scary because the kid's crying. Like, it's like, oh, i got to fix it. But it, it, I had this weird, like, epiphany in the moment where I was like, she feels comfortable enough to cry right now. Well, that's a big moment. Yes, and that that felt really cool. Almost mm-hmm. not quite like watching someone walk for the first time. But it felt like some kind of milestone yeah, like that, you know? no so, doubt. And so that was cool. But it, it has been weird, um, and this for context uh we got them during the quarantine and so I de facto I was a stay-at-home dad for a while (laughs) um and so going from having no kids no experience no like gradual like there's a baby and you learn how to parent through through them aging it was just you have two kids now Mm -hmm. figure it out and uh, I don't know if you guys listen to Jim Gaffigan at all he's a comedian Mm -hmm. and he has this joke about uh Mm -hmm. having kids and he said uh you know i think someone asked him like what is it like when you had your fifth kid and he said well just imagine you're drowning and then someone <laughs> hands you a baby you know <laughs> like that's that's what it felt like yeah know? um but i think it's funny aaron you, you bring up the selfishness part too and like i i am a person i love my alone time um i i had it like penciled in like when can i recharge and i think one of the hardest things for me was i had no idea when that would happen anymore you know, I, I don't know when these girls go to bed. I don't know when they wake up. And mm-hmm. so that first week was hard, like, trying to figure that out. But uh, I will say this. I love I, love bedtime now. <laughs> yes, I, get, I get a now. Oh, hours yeah. You always love bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, they, uh, it doesn't matter. We might have nights where they stay up kind of late. Stuff happens. And it's like, let's say we don't get to bed till 10 o'clock. And, you know, like, surely they'll sleep in. Like, maybe they'll, they'll sleep never, in no, no, They don't ever do that. Yeah. No, they don't. No, it's you ridiculous. Want it, yeah. And so I think they wake up earlier is, like, you know in spite it's like hey you, you were a bad parent you got us in bed late. well hey i'm gonna wake up at six in the morning let's see how you like that
2: you know so. we i remember when we got the girls uh we would lock ourselves and rhema would take jaden and she'd be downstairs and i'd be upstairs and we'd lock ourselves in the in each of in the, these bedrooms and we yeah. just spend time and then we'd rotate and we did this weekends after weekends mm-hmm. and night after night and day so that these girls could get to know us because Emma wouldn't even look at us, you know, a little bitty baby, and she just wouldn't even make eye contact. We'd feed her a bottle and rock her, and she'd look the other way, and no expression on her face, and it's like, you know what? This is gonna happen, and I, I remember rocking her, and weeks would go by, and weeks would go by, and she'd barely look at you, and then one day, she locked eyes with me when I was feeding her her bottle, and that was like, oh, yeah. It, it just, it just melted my heart, and I'm going, this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't say it was going to be easy, no. but it, it's going to be okay. And it's those moments that you have yeah, to yeah. hold on to. Yeah. That is awesome. Because you know, right now, uh, it, t- it it takes, you know, a while for them that that honeymoon phase is is about thirty days, and that's about yeah. what we got to. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, then there's those moments where it's typical kid behavior. But also because they're so confused about what's going on in their, their little lives yeah and and that that stems along the, the whole way i think um mm-hmm. and that's not to scare you that's just to be aware of it yeah and, that, and that's mostly what it is is being aware of what what can happen mm-hmm. because it's emotions and it's a change for everybody for illness yeah. yeah i mean, they didn't ask
0: for it you know. No. Kids, they do not ask for this and no so, uh one thing i'm curious about uh, we've been kind of warned going into foster care like obviously if kids Take them to the store. Granted, our kids look like they might be able to be our kids, and so we don't get a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, but people ask questions, and so I'm curious. Um, through both, you know, fostering and adopting, have you guys ever had people make kind of like these weird comments? And maybe it's just out of ignorance. Maybe they just don't know how to 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 properly handle those kind of situations. Um, but I, I remember um, I want It was some like Labor Day or something, and I was at home in Michigan. And Ken and I had just gotten certified to become foster parents. And we had like a bunch of family over just celebrating the holiday. And we're telling some people that like, oh, we're gonna be foster parents. And they would always say like, oh, that's gonna be great practice for when you wanna actually have kids. Mm -hmm. And like, it always just rubbed me the wrong way. Mm Or it's like, no, like this, this is not like, I'm not doing this for practice, you know? And and, and so I don't know, have people ever made like, these kind of, and I don't think they meant bad by it you know i think they just
2: they just don't know exactly yeah the thing
1: that that
0: is probably
1: stuck in my mind more kind of reacted against is uh, this people will say you know because kids are kids and when adoptive kids have problems uh, one of the common things that other people outside people will say is well they should be grateful for you Mm, having adopted them and they should act better and you know, I, I get it why people might say that, but um, that is a very insensitive thing mm-hmm. to say, especially uh, in hearing of the kids. And, uh, but but even as a parent, outside of the hearing of the kids, like, no, nah, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, they don't see it that way. The kids don't see it that way. Um, in fact, they if kids are aware of their adoption and sometimes are reacting against that, um, they take that as a deep, deep insult, and mm-hmm. they sometimes kids can think, "Man, uh, you know, my adopt- or my biological parents abandoned me, and therefore that's what parents do, and my adoptive parents are going to abandon me." Sometimes, and mm-hmm. kids have uh, what's called reactive attachment disorder. Oftentimes, adopted kids do, yeah, which is a whole big can of worms that is a big reality. Mm-hmm. And it's it, you wonder, the, like, you and can't we we struggled with them. that. I don't know if. Did yeah, to
2: we, we did too. Um, we didn't realize it was coming. Mm. Um, but yeah, th- those were the struggles because our, our caseworker told us after the fact that we should have known some of this ahead of time was that, uh, you know, we're not guaranteed that they're going to love us like, like we love them, especially yeah. initially. And uh, then those reactions um, kind of rear their ugly heads and how they react to different things. Mm. And they do think that they're Either little pieces of nothing because that's how they feel because their parents didn't want them is what they're thinking. Yeah. Or we're going to to send them off somewhere else to another family and their reactions to that are, you know, they say hateful things. Um, they may cry, they may um, go hide in a corner, they may do all kinds of different things. Because, very
1: possessive, very yeah. controlling. Yes. Have issues with food yeah. a lot of times.
2: Yeah. And it's all these issues, you know, that, that we weren't really aware of. You can't you can't look at raising them like you did your biological children. Yeah. Um, you have to parent differently. And that was hard, you know, raising three boys and then all of a sudden we have to parent differently. Mm-hmm. Well, I know what I'm doing. Well, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to be open to, you know, reading those books and getting information and talking to other people that this is going to be different. It's gonna be good. And I'm a better parent, I think, because of it. Um, but at the same time, it, it isn't easy. And um, it, you know,
1: I, I would just tell every adoptive or foster parent, you know, get educated early on about mm-hmm. reactive attachment disorder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and there are lots of different ways that it surfaces, and, but kids that are going through foster care or, or have been adopted, they, they will all have those realization moments and they'll respond to them differently. Mm-hmm. But you know, about half, I think, from what I've read have really negative Reactions to the fact that they realize, oh my gosh, I was adopted. Yeah. And even even in our case, you know, uh, we we've had our our daughter with us, adopted daughter, uh, since day one. Yeah. And we kind of thought, oh, we're immune from all that No, because at some point she realized, wait a second, you know, my biological parents abandoned me, yeah. and that's what adults do. And she took that out on us for mm. for a spell, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and so but nobody ever told us about it. Nobody ever warned us that hey, well, this is to. a
0: possibility. Honestly, I feel like I haven't even heard much about it, and I'm you know, in the trenches right now. The yeah, that's what I, I'm, you, you need, need to, to know about say, this, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah,
1: yeah. and and hey, you need to do some reading and and have uh, uh, a couple phone numbers on your speed dial yeah, that huh? you can reach out to to say, what on earth is going on? Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's a real thing, and most, most kids, adoptive kids, um, with they're traumatized in one way or another. They just mm-hmm. they just are. That, that's just the nature of it. And they will become very acquiescent or very, um, uh, what's the right word, Todd? Help me out here. Or very reactionary. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, they'll try to be people pleasers, or they will be just the opposite. Yeah. And, and say, I'm not gonna do anything you want me to do. Mm-hmm. So oppositional defiant disorder, ODD. You know, oppositional okay. defiant disorder
2: is another one of those classic things that adoptive kids, foster kids have. I remember one time we were in the grocery store and uh, Jaden wanted some candy. She just loved chocolate. And that was her thing that gave her comfort. Who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it it was more of a, if I can't have it, I'm not going to ever feel good again. And so she Mm, was probably seven and she is pitching the biggest fit in the store and she is screaming and yelling because she wants chocolate. Mm. And we had chocolate in the cart, but she wanted more. And we were like, this isn't going to work. No, you have chocolate. You're going to wait till we get home and da 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 And mm-hmm. so she just escalated. And then Emma escalated. Uh. And Raymond and I looked at each other and we're like, we're not doing this. We left the cart. Yeah. We never do this normally. And we walked out because everybody was looking at us and judging us because of the way we were handling it. We were trying to do it with empathy, not getting totally, you know, dysregulated ourselves. Yeah. And we just grabbed them by the hands left everything and walked out the store mm-hmm. and that was that was a wake-up call for us that you know what we don't have to do that we don't have to look at how people are looking at how we're parenting our kids because they don't know their whole story yeah they don't and and, it, and it, that's the hardest part because kids get dysregulated and we try to handle it the way we think is best and it, or others how they uh, are watching us mm-hmm. and i think we can't do it and when we got in that car, it was like we could take a deep breath. They calmed down. We went home. Yeah, We went back another day by, oursel- by what, ourselves to yeah. get groceries.
0: <laughs> well, and it's funny, yeah, because you. I think most people would think, it's like, well, why not just bribe them? Like, it, mm-hmm. like do what you got to do is survive the store and get mm-hmm. out of there. Yep. But I think 100% you handle it the right way. Yeah. And so. But,
2: and so you're,
0: there are occasions when you just bribe them. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's normal. Yeah, yeah that's normal. Stuff, right? I yeah. give in. Yeah. You broke
2: you break me. Yeah. yeah. We, um, you asked me how people react to us, so I'll tell you. We you know we're older. Uh, mm-hmm. I was forty-eight, and my wife's two years older than me, so we adopted Very so glad you. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just and so anyway, we got these girls, and so of course people look at us, and they just assume we're grandparents. Mm, yeah. You know, and uh, so then they'll say things like, "Oh, grandma's so good to you," to my wife. And first, it would just oh, bug her because yeah. she doesn't really look like a grandma. Grandma, even though we are, no. we are grandma and grandpa. Uh, with biological kids and yeah. stepchildren. But at the same time, um, the kids usually would correct the other other adult. Oh, yeah. Well, then, of course, uh, as my son would say, when we brought Emma and Jaden home, um, Emma is biracial, so she's half black. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I got two new sisters. One's half black and the other's whole white. Because they're half sisters, uh. and so that's another thing that people look at us. And so we have a biracial daughter, mm-hmm. and so they're just trying to figure out our mess. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? What are these? What are these uh, two into? They're forty-eight and almost fifty years old, and they have a, a white baby, a biracial daughter, and a thirteen-year-old mm-hmm. son at that time. You know, yeah, it, it's very interesting. And um, Jaden, one time where Raymond was in the line and. She looked over and she saw another family and there was a, a biracial daughter and the mom was white and the dad was black mm-hmm. and Jane just looked over at her and said huh your mom's white too <laughs> just like that That's and they hilarious. have this little conversation <laughs> yeah. and to them it's no big deal yeah but other people you know kind of look at you and they try to figure out your story yeah they do Yeah, they, they yeah, stuff yeah. yeah
0: kind of dissecting i guess you mm-hmm. little yeah I not remember I
2: should have used songs, but... <laughs> Dissecting. Yeah. So uh, our next topic? Do not dissect your children. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they don't recommend it. So...
2: So my foster, uh, our foster care experience is a little different too, kind of here at the church. Uh, mm-hmm. I was uh, coming in one day, um, it was about 8 o'clock in the morning, and I was opening up, and there was a guy that I knew from the preschool here, he brought his kids here and he was waiting for me. And he said, hey, Todd, I gotta talk to you. And I said, what's up? He goes, hey, do you wanna adopt my great nieces? And I'm like, adopt your great nieces? Well, I don't know how that works. Mm. And I'd have to talk to my wife and whatever. And so he gives me all this big line about the girls are gonna be separated in foster care. Their mom was into this and she was going to prison and all of these different things. And so I went home and I told my wife and she said, well, I don't know how that would work about it. Just adopting two girls that are going to be going into foster care. Maybe we maybe we should just foster. And I go, well, we're not foster parents. Mm-hmm. So uh, she said, we need to pray about that. So one day went by and we prayed. She prayed. I prayed and I came to work three days later and he's waiting there again. And he walked up to me and he said, hey, would you want to foster the girls? Uh, and that's how it started with wow, uh, the yeah. girls. And so we we got, had a home study. That fingerprinted, and then they brought the girls for the home st- home visit, home mm-hmm. study, and left them. We didn't even know they were going to be leaving them
0: Yeah. So for the day,
2: or pardon for the day, or permanently. Permanently.
0: I saying, yeah, typically it's like a feeling out kind of thing. Like oh, yeah, I'm but seeing, yeah. this
2: this was kind of expedited because uh, the foster system was full, mm-hmm. and they were going to be separated, and they didn't want to do that to the the, the sisters. Yeah and so we were running to walmart that night and people were bringing us stuff and we kind of made it work and that's how the whole process started and we got licensed while we had them yeah yeah
0: which i feel like happens more often than people might think too yeah so we i remembered our class which is cool we had 10 families and so you think like these are 10 people that are getting ready to to take on this mission Mm -hmm. and uh at least two of them already had kids in their home and like they're Doing it now, like they're they're learning how to be foster parents while they're while they're parenting, and mm-hmm. that blows my mind. And, yeah. and uh, one thing, Aaron, if you don't feel comfortable answering this, you don't have to. Um, one thing I'm curious about too. I mean, did you guys ever have like the um, kind of the reveal of like the adoption and like kind of what was the strategy behind that? The reveal. That? I mean, like to your daughter that she like she was adopted. You
1: know, you know we um, just the the information that we received and the kind of coaching we got was, no, just weave that into their story.
2: Yeah,
1: Let that be a part of their story. So, you know, early on, you know, we just talked about it and it was, you know, even as she's growing and developing, it became a part of the story. And Mm. we had books about, you know, adoption stories and the story of you. There's a lot of, you know, really sweet books out there about the story of you and the day we brought you home. And... You know, uh, some more serious than others, but kids level books. So that it just becomes a part of, yeah, it's just a, the most natural thing in the world mm-hmm. that people adopt people. Yeah. Um, and um, so I, I think that I think that's the right thing to do, too, so that there isn't some big reveal uh, and, it, and it may work for some people. Yeah. Um, or there's another reveal, you know, I suppose that's a, a way to do it, too, to just not tell. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that that. Yeah. To me, it would be hiding something that is going to come out at some point. So yeah. that definitely wasn't an option.
0: I would agree with that as far as just like making that, yeah. yeah. Early on, talking about it, having those conversations then instead of... Because you, know, you hear about people and they're like 13 and they find out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I can't imagine. I think that's pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, what about for Emma? I mean, was it? I mean, I, it's, I feel like it'd be different because obviously she has her sister. And so like maybe her sister her in very early
2: on so it's kind of odd because uh they are calling us mom and dad probably day two yeah. we, we were mom and dad and you know i remember going to the visits and, and things with a biological family and uh they really um gravitated to us mm-hmm. we had to leave for some of the visits and they just were looking constantly for us to come home um or come to get them mm-hmm. and so so i think that Really, honestly, I was trying to think about that when Aaron was answering that question was, when did we tell them? You know, we assumed they knew because Jaden was five. But it was like Jaden really never even acted like she was adopted Mm. um, or in foster care because she just was very happy with the situation, even though she had her moments because it's confusing. Yeah. Um, Emma was, of course, so little. She doesn't really remember her biological family at all. But I just think through the process, it was just one of those things where it always was just there. Mm -hmm. You're in foster care. Big adoption day was amazing. You know, Mm -hmm. We celebrate gotcha day, the day we got them. And that's always been a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, They do occasionally want to know when they'll someday meet um, biological mothers and fathers and all of those things. And someday that could happen. um, Because right now it it wouldn't be healthy because of the situation. But someday... You know when yeah. they can handle some of the things that are going on.
0: I feel like that's only natural too. Mm-hmm. Um, we had actually someone in our class um, that he yeah, he was adopted as as a baby and I think like learned like very later on I think he had I think his story he had said um that his uh adoptive dad was passing away and he had never like once cared about finding out about his biological dad and something mm-hmm. about his adopted dad passing away like made him like want to reach out and see and see this other you know this other person and even too like he talks about he's like I grew up in the greatest family in the world but I just always had this weird like itch that I just I felt like I just need to know what they look like Mm -hmm. or knew I just need to know that they exist Mm -hmm. and that kind of curiosity too and I think about that too I mean I have no idea what the future holds for
2: Callie and Chloe but and I think those things are normal, and I yeah. think that we can't push those to the side and think, you know, I never want my, my girls to ask those questions or allow that to happen because I'm not them. Mm-hmm. And I would wonder, too. I mean, there's times that I think, I wish I would been able to meet my biological father, yeah. you know, or what, does he act like me? Do I look yeah. like him? Yeah. You know, things like that. So I think they're going to have those same things mm-hmm. that that want, I think, to just see what who they are.
0: Yeah. Um, one thing you kind of touched on was uh, maybe just how people would come around you at the time. Uh, obviously, the surprise of, you know, finding out that they're the girls are here to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just coming for a day visit. Yeah. And so that was a thing, too, for us. Um, it just like, for us, it felt a little bit different because we knew, like, at some point, we don't know when, but they're going to call us and they're going to see if uh, if we want to be foster parents. And the interesting thing with us is I have a student who, who had been adopted, and he was over at my house mowing my lawn, and he came in for lunch, and we we're all just like hanging out eating lunch, and that's when we got the call to to foster these two girls. We had told them too. We said our criteria was like uh it was infant to three, hmm. and they got us on a technicality because they asked us if we would take a three year old and a five year old. And so we were not <laughs> we we're not thinking about taking two children, and we weren't thinking about taking someone as old as five.
2: Yeah.
0: But like looking at him, it was just what it, it was. It's such a God thing too. Just like looking, at it, it's like man. uh uh, how do we say no in this moment? Like, we had this person here. We've seen how this has had such a positive impact on his life or has changed his life. Um, and not to say that God wouldn't constantly be chasing after him no matter where he was. Um, but it felt like an eye-opening experience. And so, again, it was not what we planned for, but we decided to say yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that moment, too, I mean, we had so many people, you know, like from our church congregation that just, they came together. They got us so many things. Uh, I distinctly are some people dropping off some things on my door, you know, <laughs> and uh, lots of gift cards. And I will say, uh, I needed them because the first few weeks I did not have the energy to cook food, and it was nice to be able to uh, to get Chick Fil A when uh, when we didn't feel like cooking. And so that's that's the thing that I think is really cool too. And so, uh, kind of to bring this full circle, um, what would you what would you say? Um, let's talk to the individual first, as far as someone that. Potentially is mulling over the idea of either adopting or fostering, whether or not they should, how they should go about it. And if they decide that maybe this isn't the route that I want to take, how can they help um, other families or children that that are maybe a part of the system?
1: Uh, I'm going to push your question out a little further because I I don't know that I, I think that the question becomes communal in terms of, you know, as a follower of Jesus. And that's the context that we're talking about this within. And as a follower of Jesus, I think it's ultimately about surrender mm-hmm. just to say, you know, God, my time is yours. My life is yours. My home is yours. I don't own any of this. What do you want me to do with this? And and then as as people who are concerned about the lives of people that, you know, there, there are no throwaway people there, uh, that, that we have to be in a constant state of saying, God, you know, how do you want me to, you mm-hmm. um, Operate in your kingdom. And, and one of those options, I think, for all followers of Jesus has to be mm. if, you, if you call me to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent, the answer is already yes, we'll just figure out the details along the yeah, way. Yeah. Um, and, but I also realized, too, that there are a lot of other options of, of helping um, foster kids in particular. And one of those is CASA, mm. um, the Court Appointed Special Assistance. And yeah, so our Court Appointed Special Advocates, what a great program. And you know, they just recently started one here in Jasper County and uh, you know, Debbie Kolkebeck directing that is doing a fantastic job and the number of kids in Jasper County that need that are in the foster care system, about 450, mm-hmm. and each one of them needs a CASA, somebody that interacts with the foster parents, with the court system, with the judges, with counselors, with because no one person does all that yeah. unless there's a court-appointed special advocate. It is a game changer for these kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and that might be the place where a lot of Christians can make a bigger impact without being a foster parent or adoptive parent, to say, I will be a CASA. Yeah. I will give them my time, myself, my home, my connections to see that happen. So, I mean, I'm a big advocate of that.
2: Yeah. So fostering to adopt or whatever that uh, line might be, I don't think it's for everybody. Yeah. I think like Aaron said, it is, it is a calling. You have mm-hmm. to be prayerful. It about God's that. not going to call
1: everybody, but I think right. every Christian needs to step up and say, what do yes. you want me to do? Yes, yeah.
2: exactly. And, and I believe that if you don't have it on your heart to do the actual bringing that child into your home, there are plenty of ways to help. With that, and the CASA program is amazing. Um, but I, I would give some advice that if someone says, you know, I, I'll be a foster parent to be able to take that child in for a while, you know, I'm not going to adopt, but I want them to have a home until that right family comes along or whatever that might be, mm-hmm. is that be involved. I, I think be involved with, with the case of what those kids in your home are going through showing up to those uh, those appointments and, and not even though you have a say at that point yeah. being at those hearings so that you know what they're going through. Um, so I think there's there's plenty of ways to be involved to help um, even even be in um, the um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name where you would just watch kids. We're in foster oh, care. Is it a
0: respite care respite care yeah. you know
2: you, you you sign up you get licensed to do that mm-hmm. so that when i or you need a break while we're in foster care because it is tough mm-hmm. um that you can take them somewhere that's safe that can watch them and, yeah
1: respite care providers have to be approved yes. and trained and, yes. You know,
2: yes. Um, variety of things. yes so there, there's plenty of ways and being an advocate of you know, just talking about foster care and, and fostering to adopt, mm-hmm. being an advocate for that, being the voice to make people aware of what that process is yeah. and who to make contact to. Um, all those things that you don't really think about until you're in the middle of it. And just those people to talk to, to ask those questions. What is it like? You know, what should I be doing? Um, you know, counseling, um, you know, yeah. just... Uh, you know, for the, for the kids' sake, that, that they have someone they can talk to who's, who's trained. Mm-hmm. And then also for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. There's yeah. um, something interesting to that. So my uh, in-laws, um, they work for Black Box International. And they deal with specifically boys in the, um, I want to say the Dominican. And they're expanding to Honduras. But boys that have been sex trafficked and have been put in this home. And uh, one thing that I thought was so interesting, and so my mm-hmm. father-in-law, Roger, is like, he's spent a ton of time in Central America. And so uh, he speaks amazing Spanish. And so he's going over there, and when he, he when he's there, he spends a lot of time with the boys. But one of his main jobs is he, he's counseling the counselors. Mm. And that was mind-blowing to me that, like, you, you think, well, that counselor is like, no, they're fine. They've done all the training. Like, they don't... <laughs> Yeah. surely they don't need to go to counseling you have that idea too or it's just like these people were taking on so much baggage and mm-hmm. and we need we can't be putting all that weight on their shoulders so yeah. one of my favorite quotes when i was uh an angsty teenager you know was uh was a quote from atlas and it says i asked not for a uh, lighter burden but for broader shoulders and i always thought that was so cool and then mm-hmm. as i got older i realized uh you know that's kind of a manly way to look at things but that is not the way that god asks us to look at things you know yeah. Yeah. Gives us more friends, gives us more shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Some are broad, but mainly there's a lot, you know. Uh-huh. Um, one thing I wanted to point out too, and so, um, one of the verses, I didn't write down one of them, I'm so mad myself. um myself. Some of my favorite verses, um, early in Deuteronomy, you see a lot of like, I wanna say it's Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10, uh, 10.18, and it talks about um, uh, God giving justice to the orphan and the widows. And we see him a lot in the Old Testament um, being an advocate for these people that are considered the least in this culture. And so you're the aliens, the people that aren't from this land, um, the orphans who have no name and no value, and then widows who have lost theirs. And... I think it's easy for a lot of people too. Um, you can look at the Old Testament God and see, look at it as like something different than what the New Testament God is, because there's a lot of hard things in the Old Testament. But one thing I think that's really revealed about God's heart in the Old Testament is that He, He wants us to be a voice for those who don't have a voice. And another one of my favorite verses, actually the one that like, that really kind of pushed me over the edge, and it was uh was Psalm sixty-eight verse five. that says. Uh, uh, father of the fatherless and protector of what uh, else is God and His holy habitation? Uh, he who numbers the hairs on our head will certainly not turn away from the children living as orphans. And like that, that concept too, you know, He He dresses the flowers and He gives the birds places to nest. He knows every single hair in our head, and it's like to think that if we are reflections of God, then then why aren't we treating these children that, that in theory, have no names? Because you know we forget that they're out there. Um, why why doesn't this matter to us more and so um, to transition to that um, as a church what you know as a, as a collective body what what do you guys feel like we can be doing to, to maybe better address this better address these children?
1: Well, I think talk about it you know and uh, uh, weave it into our vernacular of you know what does it mean to be adopted into the God's, God's family We all are yeah. I mean, adoption is at the cult, uh, the core the heart and soul of, of the Christian faith. Uh, we're all adopted children of God, and you know to make sure that that just becomes a part of our vernacular. And then, mm-hmm. you know, for us here at St. Paul's, it is that that deepening relationship with Casa and making sure that we are advocates for the advocates. Yeah, um, and that that's one um, very present way that people can serve. Mm-hmm. Know about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Casa foster
0: care adoption, and we have a ton of families that are adopted families. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say a ton of the a ton of families and Carl are a lot of the kids are adopted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd specifically for you being a, a children's minister um, what in children is so like this is kind of a dream to, like, I'm just gonna not beat around the bush
2: uh okay oh, I, I
0: put in a video for, for some of us to watch it's called TBRI and the acronym is trust-based relational intervention and so right. I know I know you watched it and then you you shared it with some of the you know some of your staff and so um maybe more what I'm getting getting into is the idea of treating Obviously, children that have gone through trauma need special treatment. They need to be parented a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am more of the mindset that not only do kids who have experienced major trauma need to be parented that way, but all, a lot of kids, mm-hmm. if not all kids, should be parented that way. Yeah. And so I'm curious what kind of your thoughts on yeah. the
2: uh, TBI stuff. On. Yeah, I, I wish I would have had these, uh, seen these videos before I had children or a yeah. or, or, uh, you know, step parent or whatever it is, because what happens is all kids come with some trauma. In their lives. And again, you know, there's there's severity. There's some that are pretty severe, but at the same time, it affects on how they they look at things. And so these videos kind of show us that, you know, special needs um, aren't just obvious. Mm -hmm. Special needs aren't things that maybe you're born with. Um, because we're starting a special needs ministry here at St. Paul's, and we want to be a church that when someone comes, they have a place that they can trust that we're going to take care of their children and they can go on to Mm -hmm. worship service and get that hour each week if they need that break and that their kids are going to be fine. And we want them to be engaged with all of the things that we're doing. But I think one of the things that are hidden uh, is is the trauma aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And, And what I've learned about the trauma through just the experience with my girls but also the these videos is that it, it's so hidden that they have special needs also and if we're not aware of that and how we deal with their out their out their cries mm-hmm. they're, they're crying out when they have temper tantrums or they're giving you the, the bad words or the hateful tones or whatever that might be, but they're lashing out. Yeah. And what I find is I want to be more like, like Jesus in these scriptures you were kind of referring to is I want that empathy mm-hmm. to walk in their shoes, to know where they're coming from so that I can relate to them. And I think that's my biggest thing that I'll take away is I have to have more empathy with all people Yeah. because, you know, I have more more empathy and understanding with other people's children than I sometimes do with my own, yeah, uh, yeah. Because I'm I am totally responsible for my own. Mm-hmm. Where here, I can step back and look at it differently, and go, you know what, Dad? It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. The only reason they're reacting this way is this way. And then so I, yeah. I hear those <laughs> words when I'm overreacting when I'm at home. Yeah. So I think someone needs to step back and look at me sometimes. And would you just tell me?
0: I. You I know, see what you're saying. Yes. yes.
2: So. I think empathy, empathy, empathy is, is mm-hmm. the, the big thing that we have to get around. Yeah. And, and it's not it's not sympathy, feeling sorry for these kids. It's understanding where they're coming from Yeah, and letting them know that. You know, that must be tough. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just a different way of doing it.
0: Yeah. And for people that don't know what TBRI is, um, kind of to sum it up in a way is, is the idea of realizing that um, with every behavior, there is a need that needs to be met and so um there is a conference that uh ken and i just watched through the only annoying it's it's not free and so like we paid for it but after like the month that you watch it you can't access it anymore mm-hmm. and so the annoying thing is i loved it but i can't like keep showing it to people mm-hmm. um but he uh one of the speakers in it talks about this um this 1am brain and this 1pm brain um, At 1pm i'm walking down the street um a rabbit jumps in front of me okay you know, it's not that scary. At one a.m., I hear something wrestling in the bushes. I had no idea what it is, and I'm gonna be more on high alert. And talking about how these uh, children that have experienced certain amounts of trauma, or even just abandonment, um, they operate more in this one a.m. You know, mm-hmm. and so right. And that idea too. When when a baby cries, you know that baby has a need. They need to be burped. They need to be fed. What is it? When a 17 year old is cussing you out, that's a baby crying. Mm-hmm. You know, and what do they need? And even just humanizing it to that, to that standpoint, where it's just like, we forget that, you know, we forget that we're all just babies and we're all just people that have needs. And I think that's the thing that TBR reminds me of the most. Um, I think they even show, on one of the examples, I think it's like a 16 year old girl and I don't even know what triggers it. And she just reverts back to sucking her thumb, Mm -hmm. you know, and you look in this, like, like she has a need right now. And that need is she needs to be comforted. She needs to feel comfortable Mm -hmm. right now. And something about people being older, we just assume they, like, graduate out of that, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I need that reminder daily Mm -hmm. Um, when people come out in traffic, you know, they they need something, you know.
2: Yeah, 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 and then those are the strange things, you know, when your five-year-old foster child or adopted daughter crawls up in your lap and wants to be rocked and and be fed Mm -hmm. like a baby, a baby bottle, um, there's a reason for that. But at first sense, it's like, are you told for that? Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't fed you a bottle in years. They're just they're asking for some comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not have been held enough when they were a child. Yeah, Rocked yeah, got to catch
1: up. They yeah. got to, they got to catch up. They got to do some of those
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, more uh, less mature things to yes. get caught up to be mature. Yes. If you skip them, they never quite catch up. Absolutely, yeah. got to go back to go forward.
0: Yeah. Mm. Anything uh, you would like to say? To... Let's come
1: back to that whole idea of being surrendered. You know, this yeah. whole. Uh, you know, fostering and helping and being aware of uh, adopting—it's all. It's mm-hmm. a, ultimately a spiritual issue of ha- how surrendered am I and God? What do you want me to do?
0: Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Yeah,
2: I agree with that. You know, uh, be prayerful about it yeah. and, and listen, and just be open to uh, listening to people who are going through it, but also be open to if God's saying, "Hey, I need you to do it. Do it." Yeah. Well, I
0: think that does it for us. Thank, er, thank you, everyone. Uh, Todd, Aaron, for taking the time to come on. It's out good do to this. be here. Yeah, yeah this has been uh, fun.
1: Good conversation.
0: Always fun. I have a lot of fun doing it. So, I hope people enjoy being a part of it and listening to it. And so, even if you took the time to listen to this, thank you for listening to it. Um, if it was helpful for you, maybe share it with someone. You have no idea um, how this could be helpful for for someone else. And even to what you know, when the spirit nudges you. Uh, try to listen you know and so maybe maybe words were spoken today that people need to hear and so with that said I'll